I just wanted to say that I love listening to the podcast. They're really interesting and informative and they encourage me to think on a much higher level, but it's done in a clear, concise way, in a fresh way. Hey there, friend. Welcome to the podcast today. It's going to be so good. Here's the topic. The world wants our children. There are some powerful people who want your kids. And I'm telling you, it's all centered on that trifecta of evil, money, power, and even sex. And we're going to ask the question, is this world out discipling the church and even our families when it comes to children from, let's say, 15 to 18 months up to the age of 13. We have a special guest on the podcast today, Stephanie Rothman, the vital importance of the church equipping families to disciple their kids. You see, if we just align with what Jesus said about discipling and teaching everything that he taught us, it will make all the difference. You see, the future is moving in the direction of Jesus Christ. God has promised there is a time coming when the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Right now, we're to make disciples to prepare for the kingdom. Jesus said, repent, change your mind, change your life, for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is Brian Del Turco. Thanks for connecting today. Our special guest, Stephanie Rothman, episode 206, The World Wants Our Children. You may want to go back and catch uh, just the preceding episode, episode 205. I personally recommend it. I'm a super fan of that African-American botanist from the late 1800s, early 1900s, George Washington Carver. What's your peanut? Okay, how you're called to develop and release the latent potential of things around you, and specifically what you are designed and called to cultivate and develop. Dr. Julie Slattery will be coming on the podcast within the next several weeks. It will be her second appearance on Jesus Smart. She's an expert on sexuality, specifically with women, and AuthenticIntimacy.com is her website. This first part of this conversation with Stephanie, we sat down in a coffee shop, opened the mics, and she started dropping the gold. At the end of this first part of the conversation, I will be playing for you a four-minute excerpt of George Barna, the renowned researcher, and you're going to hear him say that the culture is affecting the church more than the church affecting the culture. You are going to hear him say what Stephanie is saying, the need to focus on children from the ages of 15 to 18 months to the age of 13. Their worldview is pretty much set. Beyond 13, it's just a matter of refining and further establishing the worldview. You are going to hear us talk today about high-level dividends of investing in children and the priority of focusing on discipleship with children. Stephanie's going to talk about her secret sauce. Her secret sauce is family discipleship and the need for the church to equip single parents, marriages, families to disciple their children, invest in children throughout the week, more contact hours. It's a great conversation. I really appreciate Stephanie. Here's Stephanie Rothman. The world wants our children. Stephanie has a lot to say about this topic, including family discipleship. I just know this is going to be great today. Um, Stephanie, before we get into it, 
just tell us a little bit about your story, maybe how you came to know the Lord, what's brought you to this point in your life, and Jason, your husband, your family, your children, what they're up to. Yeah, well, thanks again for having me. My husband and I have been married for over 20 years. We have three children. Uh, We have two sons and a daughter. Our oldest son is a senior in high school, and then we have an eighth grader, and we have a fourth grader. So we kind of run the whole range of (laughs) uh, elementary school, middle school, and high school right now. Uh, I was an elementary school teacher for 21 years, really enjoyed my time teaching in um, private school and public school, felt the call uh, to do something a little differently. I mean, you know, teaching is definitely a calling for sure. sure. Teaching is a ministry, Um, but I felt like the Lord was shifting that a little bit. So I started pursuing another master's degree in um, pastoral counseling And one thing led to another, and I was transitioning out of a uh, long-term sub-job last year and was offered a children's pastor job. I, at first, hesitated thinking, I don't know if this is what I'm supposed to do, but it was actually uh, a prophetic word that had had come to pass by me getting this um, job offer. How did you process the guidance on that? You probably felt an inner leading at some point? Yeah, I think there was a lot of prayer and time spent talking to my family about it and processing if this was going to be a good next step for me in my journey that God has asked me to, you know, pursue. And I, the answer was yes. And so um, we proceeded and uh, it's been a good experience so far. So now I'm, I oversee birth through fifth graders and it's just been a really cool experience. Awesome. And how did you meet your husband, Jason? My husband? Jason's part of a men's group. I want to tell you about that in a minute, but yeah, (laughs) we're part of it. Yeah, it's a good group. My husband and I are actually high school sweethearts. I know that's kind of... One of those stories. I think that that's kind of... uh, cliche nowadays but it's it's true for us it yeah was, no it's lovely yeah there's a lot there's a lot of good things that we could talk that could be a whole nother podcast about okay. marrying your high school sweetheart <laughs> yeah jason's part of a we have a group of guys about five of us that meet actually in this coffee shop yeah most every friday morning sometimes on zoom solve the world's problems right from these tables yeah he's a good person to do it <laughs> i don't see it affecting the world so much but <laughs> <laughs> the world seems to be going in the opposite direction the way we're talking, but it's a great group. I enjoy Jason. He's got that legal mind. I, I love the legal mind he brings to the mix. Thank you. We're talking about discipleship, and of course, the famous corner verse is, I think, in Matthew 28, right there at the end of Matthew, where Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Stephanie, what was your experience, can I ask, in being discipled? Oh, that's a great question. I grew up going to uh, church. Um, I learned a lot. I learned a lot in church. I remember really getting a lot from kids' church, and uh, I had a, a rich experience with like the Wednesday night kind of missionettes group and oh, so forth yes. that I was part of. It was a lot of a lot of emphasis placed on yep. um, children's discipleship when I was growing up. I think that was kind of like the '80s and '90s. That was sort of the thing to do. But truthfully, when I was about 11 years old, I was on a Bible quiz team 
And <laughs> I, I gained so much from that practicing. It was kind of, if you think about, um, you know, like a, what a quiz team would be or like an academic challenge team would be. Have you ever seen those? It was a similar version of that, only all the questions were based on the Bible. And I learned, I learned so much from the memorization of those facts. Yeah. And it's been interesting in my um, pursuit of my master's degree. A lot of that recollection of facts and scripture has come back to my mind all these 30 years later, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I think the Lord really uses that like early in life in that kind of a scenario where a child has a lot of scripture intake coming in. Yeah. It, it seems to come back later. The Lord uses it, right? He seems to draw it up. And that's probably one of the key aspects of child discipleship, I would think, is scripture intake. Yeah. And I was in a process of reading the whole Bible throughout the course of four years with the, this group that I was in. And I, I gleaned so much from that looking back now. Um, and I really appreciate the time that volunteers, you know, they were volunteer teachers just giving of their time and energy and their love for Christ. And wow, it's a big testament to my life today. There's such dividends in investing in children. It's such a high leverage investment. Dividends come. It's more of a long game, isn't it? For sure. It is absolutely a long game. But the dividends are awesome. I mean, look at it like right now in your life and what you're doing right now. Yeah. So Jesus said, the first thing he said was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent means to change your mind. It mm-hmm. means to change your life, but it means it starts with changing your mind. And Jesus asks us to go out with that message, the gospel of the kingdom, and to the message of repentance and discipleship. Do you think, Stephanie, I was thinking about this. I actually heard a teacher just this past week say this, and it really ignited this thought. You know, he was saying that we worry so much about things like, Lord, like what job do you want me to take? Or where do you want me to be? And we we really bring it down to our personal life a lot. But he's saying, if you just focus on the Great Commission, go out, as Jesus said to do, and heal people cast out demons, Jesus said. He said to raise the dead. I know these are some high bars, but he says if we focus on that as sort of a top line priority, it's it's a way that we seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and other things are added to us. Do you think that, how helpful do you think that is? Positioning of prioritize that, be a disciple maker, seek first the kingdom, other things will be added to you. I think in my own life, when I am seeking first the kingdom, everything else pales in comparison. So everything else seems to fall <laughs> strangely dim, comparatively speaking. And then there's just a drive in your heart and your mind, I think because of the Holy Spirit, to pursue that. Do you think that some of the things that everyone is seeking after these life issues it's not that we don't give them attention or ask the Lord about them or seek his guidance on them, but do you think they work better? Oh, for we, sure. When we seek first the kingdom? Oh, absolutely. We have to. There has to be that order in our life. Otherwise, I think we feel out of alignment. Yeah, we do. And and um, I think the Lord just honors it when we prioritize what's one of his higher values. You know, I think Frank Viola is saying things like in America and in the West, we're, we, we process Christianity so personally that it's so much about us, yeah. you know, the beautiful life that God has for me and using faith to, you know, 
pursue things in life, but if we seek these higher, these higher things that are most valuable in the Lord's heart, like disciple making, the message of the gospel of the kingdom, that these other things work. I, I think that's what Jesus meant in Matthew 6, you know, seek first the kingdom and its righteousness and all yeah. these things will be added to you. Well, when you're talking about a disciple in the sense that I think Jesus was requiring a disciple, I think it means death to yourself. <laughs> so how do you define a disciple? Well, I was thinking about this and I I know it means a dedicated follower of Jesus's teaching, but I think it meant something deeper in the ancient days. I think it meant more of like an intimate knowledge, an imitation almost. So are we imitating Jesus in our life? Not just following him, but imitating him. And then also, are we putting our needs secondly? I know when we talk about Matthew, it says deny yourself, right? Deny your wants, deny your things, deny the things that seem important to you and take up your cross and then follow. That's obviously what you said. It's not the Americanized view (laughs) of discipleship. Yeah. I mean, I think the word actually means in the Greek to be a pupil or a learner of Christ, which gets to the imitation part. I think when we read the Gospels, it seems to me one of the things I've been thinking about recently is not reading the Gospels as history only as what happened, but reading it as DNA, what wants to continue to happen in our own lives. I think that's how Jesus, I think he feels that way about his word, that it's meant to replicate the modeling that he did in the Gospels is meant to be replicated. So your background is education, right? How many years did you teach? 20? Yeah. 20 years? A little okay. over 20, yeah. And you probably have a master's degree in education, right? As well as a bachelor's? I have, yeah. Well, I have a hodgepodge of um, <laughs> classwork that equals up to a master's. But okay. You have there's an a MA lot of continu- yeah, yeah, there's a lot of continuing education that happens All when right. you're yes. in the education I, field. I, I can understand that. Should we see Jesus as the ultimate educator is sort of a question I think that would be good. Yeah, I love that question. And of course, of course, we see him as the ultimate educator for us, for sure. Okay. As I was thinking about this question, I thought, but Jesus was also educated. His parents were actually his first teachers, yep. then the rabbis in the synagogue. If you read Luke two fifty two, it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So that makes me think that although he was amazing, the teachers in the synagogue, he was growing in wisdom. And he was getting that wisdom from his father and his mother and probably his extended family members. And, mm-hmm. you know, he even left and went back with his father and mother when they came back looking for him. When he- Again, even before he begins his public ministry, he's modeling for us what it means to be a well-developed human being, right? Right. Submit yourself to teaching. Submit yourself to your parents. Right. Exactly. Grow in stature and in favor with God and man and wisdom. As Luke 2.52 says, what is discipleship then? Disciple is a learner, a pupil, somebody who's submitting themselves and developing. It's somebody who's really committed. What is discipleship? What is that process? So then that's the actual passing on of the knowledge that you have attained. And when we're talking about family discipleship, you know, you can only um, disciple your children as far as you've been discipled. So there's going, there, there comes a time when you have to really focus on your own learning and knowledge. And what does that look like for a growing parent to do? I think that is time in the word, time around other believers. 
um, time in prayer. The importance of a community of faith. Yeah, for absolutely, for sure. And also, um, you know, James talks about if you lack wisdom, you should ask God. And he uh, gives that wisdom generously. And I think I ask for wisdom on how to handle my children on a daily basis. I think so It's amazing how that prayer is answered, isn't it? It really is. It's just an easy prayer to get answered. Ask for wisdom on practical matters. I mean, daily. It's like a blanket that needs to cover us. Lord, give me wisdom. Show me the insight that I need to handle this situation. I heard, I heard somebody say, you know, invite the leadership and lordship of Jesus into everything. You know, like on a daily basis. Invite the leadership and the lordship of Christ over our affairs. Something I've learned as I've been studying Christian counseling is that the Holy Spirit is the chief counselor. I would flip that and say the Holy Spirit is also the chief teacher. And so Holy Spirit, That's what Jesus said. He will teach, teach you. me as I teach my children. They're your children, Lord. What do you want them to know and glean today? They are filled with the Holy Spirit as well. So my spirit, something in my spirit resonates with their, their spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit. There's no junior Holy Spirit. We talk about that. And, you know, the gifts that children, the spiritual gifts that children possess are amazing. And I think there are times when our uh, natural mind so, sort of wants to squelch those spiritual gifts as we get older, that there's not so much of that reservation in kids. I've seen it in my own kids. I've seen it in the kids that I'm pastoring. And I think um, parents and, and teachers and leaders of children need to encourage that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really passionate about encouraging spiritual gifts in kids. And Jesus said that. He said, you must become like a child, right? Right. He really lifted that value up, become childlike. Childlike faith, right. Yeah, innocent. You're not yet jaded. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, exactly you know, right. And, hardened and, and, and closed up, you know, from life's experiences. I don't know. Jesus is asking us to be born again. And so it's like a restart to become a child again, isn't it? Right. It's an opportunity. We're see- I think it's a more pure view of him. We're not seeing him through the lens of all of our... Of everything that we've been through as we grow older and things get kind of added on top of us and pain and fear and worry sort of invade our thinking. Yep. Not so much in kids' minds. Here's what I think, Stephanie. I think children come like hardwired with certain tendencies and baseline drives and giftings. And then would you say that when they become a Christian and start developing in the kingdom that spiritual gifts can come on top of that and further like develop and augment their natural abilities. Oh yeah, and, I definitely think so. And that we can have a role to play in discipleship in that. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, each one is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. I believe that's true for children as well. Children are given their spiritual gifts for the common good, not only of their family, but their church. Uh, their school, their classroom, you know, they're able to utilize it in their sphere of influence. This really fits in with the ethic of Jesus, which is love your neighbor, help your neighbor. Right. The thing about the neighbor and helping others, the God ethic, seeing the younger generations develop not in a selfish way, but in a way that is outward bound, right? Right. Towards others. Right. And that is another part of family discipleship 
where we're not just talking about what happens in our home, but we're talking about what happens in our community, in our church, in actually in the world, right? Go into the world. You see different spheres there, right? Of like reach and influence. Right. Tad, I'm not. I'm not taking this from my own thoughts. I'm. I'm taking this from something I learned from Tad Thompson, and he talks about those spheres of of discipleship that that affect our children. How we can incorporate those into our training of our children. So, if they have an opportunity to go on a mission, yes. If they have an, have an opportunity to give to missions, yes. If they have an opportunity to serve uh, in a soup kitchen for their community, yes. A backpack giveaway, anything that helps draw themselves out of themselves to see a bigger picture. This is all part of go into all the world, right? Make disciples and go into all the world and teach others to do the same. Every man's world. Because kids are egocentric. That's how they, that's how they are developing. We're all kind of selfish when we come out of the womb. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When we, we have a chance to teach them about the greater good. That, that is part of discipleship. Mm. Now you're, you're currently in, involved in children's ministry. And I know a big part of a big value with you as you've shared it is that you want to equip parents and grandparents and others to disciple their children and grandchildren, right? Maybe nieces, uh, nephews, a volunteer, but you want to equip an older generation to disciple the next. And I don't know, in, in your own experience too, you and Jason with your own family, even in a good Christian home, have you felt the tension, the spiritual warfare of the world trying to create as much static and disconnect between the generations as he can? If we're not careful, can that happen? Yeah, I think uh, the number one problem or issue that I would say I hear or see from parents or I've read about is that parents don't feel equipped. They don't feel like they know how they don't know what, where to start. They don't know how to begin. They don't feel like they're going to be good enough. And so because they feel already ill-equipped, they don't even try. And I also think that there's a little bit of a resistance from kids at first. If this is something that you haven't been doing with them since they were newborns or one or two years old that there's a resistance like they like there is with anything like if you try a new food sometimes kids are going to be resistant right and if you're so if you're trying something new in your family with family discipleship sometimes the kids have a tendency to resist and I would encourage parents keep trying keep going press through that we started um during COVID and the lockdown we started doing um nightly communion at my house. Wow. Yeah. COVID presented a really unique time of a complete stop of our schedules. And so, um, we started taking communion at home after dinner and it was something that we had not done before. It was new to us, but I had a a book that I was using to help me. And this is a really good um, tip and encouragement for parents, like get a resource. Don't, don't just come up with it on your own. There's so many resources available and get a little bit of, um, you know, teaching from this, from 
other people's research sure. and work. Yield, yield and receive from others, right? Yeah, exactly. So we started going through exactly what does communion really mean? What is the body? What is the blood? What does the word say about it? And we started kind of reading a couple pages a night and doing this nightly communion. And really, it was driven out of covering our home against this COVID virus, protecting us against the disease, and also financially and provisionally. We were praying for all of these things and believing in them. And so we were taking the communion um, in for those reasons and praying about those things. And after a few nights, my kids got on the bandwagon and they really, they really said, okay, when's communion tonight? Are we doing communion tonight? And it was a simple thing. It, it didn't take more than 10 minutes, but it was really powerful. And have you noticed like some kind of attraction or, you know, like a, like a car would get traction, you know, or, or like a grip um, answers to prayer or breakthroughs? Uh, I, I realized the traction in our prayer life. We really felt like there was some, um, momentum then in our prayers and just anointing, um, of oil in our prayers and asking God for healing and believing that he would heal and just believing really what the blood represents. It, it, it represents healing and just really, we stayed so focused on that. Um, I think that we really had some turning points in our beliefs. Yeah. I mean, when we think about like communion, the backdrop of new covenant communion is the Old Testament Passover meal, right? Right. Back in Egypt. And they did it as families. Right. The very birthing of that, it wasn't even in a corporate assembly. It was in their households. It started there. Yeah. I think that's speaking to us. It was fighting a lot of fear, too. It, there was a definite use of it to come against the, that spirit of fear that was wanting to be so pervasive during that initial COVID season and all of the what-ifs and unknowns. And we, we were we were doing what the, the Israelites did in the Old Testament when they were putting the blood over the doorpost. We were essentially doing the same thing in our home during that time. Yeah, it's a lost primal Christianity art, the eating together and the taking up of the of the wine and the bread, if you will, or the juice and the bread. Yeah. Jesus said, remember me. Right. We, we, re, we collect ourselves and remember him. And then he says, as often as you do this, you proclaim my death, or we could say the benefits of his death. We proclaim it as often how often do you want to do it? I feel like it's, I mean, I'm thankful for like the monthly communion in a church, let's say, that seems to be a typical cadence, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm a little concerned that we don't tokenize it, right. you know, like that. There's a temptation to tokenize it, mm -hmm. if you will, and it doesn't have the full the full weight of what it means. I mean, like I, I've, uh, you know, heard someone say good things ha happen over food, you know, and there's something about the table. And then when you really take some time to remember the Lord together. Oh yeah. Meal time is a definite uh, time where you can take advantage of family discipleship and really do some teaching. And, you know, another thing that we do, it's so simple. It's go around the table. What was your high and your low today? That really opens the door for some, good dialogue for some discussion for us to find out what's happening in our kids lives and we do it on a daily basis
I want to just play for you this uh, short four-minute excerpt from a podcast. George Barna, he's saying that only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview, and our quest needs to be to focus on children from the ages of 15 to 18 months to the age of 13. This is a great time to be alive because it's a time when you can sit back and understand the times and know what to do. You know, the men of Issachar, that whole approach. Uh, So what does that look like? Well, it recognizes, first of all, that today in America, and I don't say this to discourage, I'll get to the good part in a minute, but the culture is affecting the church more than the church is affecting the culture. So if we want to turn that around, one of the principles we have to recognize is to turn it around. We can't keep doing what we've been doing Mm. because that's what got us into the mess we're in in the first place. So this is now a day and an age where many of the things that may have worked in the past don't work today. So without compromising the gospel at all, how can we re-strategize so that we have a, a different way of approaching things. Well, one of the things that leaders do is they not only look to how do I change things immediately, but what's the long-term plan? Hmm. Because if you don't have a long-term plan, whatever you plant today is going to die tomorrow. So you've got to have the long-term plan in place. Part of that long-term plan that's so important is that we be focusing on children. Hmm. If I were back pastoring a church, I pastored two churches, but if I were back in the pulpit, you know, in that pastoral role today, my primary focus would be on children because hmm. we know that a person's worldview starts developing at 15 to 18 months of age and is almost fully formed by the age of 13. During the teens and early to mid-20s is a time when we then refine that worldview. We figure out how to articulate it better, how to actually implement it more consistently. Mm. But it's those first 12 or 13 years where the worldview is developed. And so all of the decisions we're going to make for the rest of our life are built on what we bought into before Mm. we even get to high school. Mm. So if I'm a church leader, what I'm saying is, okay, that we've got to get to as many children as we can, and we've got to systematically introduce them to biblical truth Mm. and keep repeating it and repeating it, different stories, different approaches, different applications, but the same principles repeated after time, after time, after time, so that ultimately they get it. Mm. When you look through church history, that's basically what churches did, was they take those, those core principles they repeat them, they repeat them, they repeat them, and they get the people to repeat them. Mm. That's a critical thing. We've moved away from that in most of our churches. I'm impressed by the fact that when you look at many world leaders like uh, Vladimir Lenin, when you look at Mussolini, when you look at Stalin, when you look at uh, a number of others over the course of history, Mao Zedong and so forth, they all at some point have made the comment, if you give me a child till seven or some have said eight uh, give them to me until they're seven or eight. I'll have them for the rest of their lives because mm-hmm. they recognize the importance of drilling that, you know, perspective into the minds and hearts of children. Mm. Churches in America don't take children seriously. Mm. We tend to use them as bait to get adults into the church. And yet we need to turn that model upside down in this day and age, I believe, and recognize, okay, Families are not doing a good job at building the worldview of their children. Mm. Schools can't be trusted to do that. The media are doing it, arts and entertainment media, and they're doing they're moving them to a different place. Yeah. All these errant worldviews we're talking about is largely because the media have been promoting that for 30 plus years now. Yeah. 
And so the church has to take back that process and say, we're going to fight back strategically and intelligently and intentionally and consistently to make sure that young children, our future generations of leaders, have God's ways imprinted in their mind and their heart so that that's how they're going to live. Mm. So that to me is one of the most critical things, probably the most critical thing that we can be doing. This excerpt is from the Charisma News podcast on the Charisma News podcast network. I'll drop a link on the show notes page. You even should see a link to the full episode on your podcast app. Be sure to come back to the next episode for the second part of this uh, conversation with Stephanie Rothman. We'll take it further. You'll enjoy it. Please share this with one or two of your friends, moms or people that are approaching marriage, grandparents, fathers. It's that important. And that's the best syndication. Let's be confident in this. Jesus is brilliant. He designed parenting. He designs families, children. He brings children into the world and sets them in families. He's brilliant. He knows how all of this works. As we said today, if we ask him for wisdom, he'll give it to us. Let's catch his brilliance. He knows how this life works best. We'll catch up with you in the next episode.